Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. We will be in the book of Revelation chapter 4, looking at verses 1 through 11. And you see, worship in heaven is centered around one thing, one purpose, and that is God, Yahweh, I Am. And Jesus gives John a glimpse of what all of us as believers will experience for eternity. You see, before we spend our time together in Revelation 4, I'd like to take just a minute, if you would, and let us go back to chapter 1, verse 19. And the reason this is important is because in this one verse, we see the entire outline of the book of Revelation. We see, it says in Revelation 1.19, write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. The things that will happen. What we have seen so far in the book of Revelation is, excuse me, in Revelation 1 has been the things that you have seen. That is what Jesus gave John. And then as we went through all of the churches, That was the part of the outline. Chapters 2 and 3 were the things that were happening at that moment. And now we get into the stuff that everybody likes to talk about. Everybody likes to debate. And uh, I can assure you that whatever I preach, there will be somebody that will disagree with something. But I'm going to tell you, it's coming right out of God's Word. And we see in chapters 4 through 22 what will happen. The things that we have heard about that will happen and the things... That we look for. So the reason I had you look at that verse is because now when we go to chapter 4, verse 1, I want you to see that. It says, Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven. And the same voice that I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, Come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. If you noticed, when it talks about things that would happen in chapter 1, verse 19, now the very same words is, are used for this is what will happen after this. You cannot say that Jesus did not have a specific plan for every word that he shared with John. Every thought, every phrase, and every point he spoke into John's life came straight from Jesus' mouth, which came straight from the heart of his Father, God. So, what we see in this passage, the first thing we see is that God's judgment is revealed. God's judgment is revealed. In this chapter of Revelation, we see God's judgment upon the world that precedes Jesus' return, ultimate reign. So, so basically, what we believe is that after the church's are dealt with, the rapture comes. And so now what we see is what's happening after the Christians have gone and those that have been left behind still have an opportunity to come to know the Lord. But there's going to be some crazy things that are happening that we'll get into later. But right now we're going to be looking at what heaven is like, what worship is going to be like in heaven. You see, the really cool thing about this book is that we don't see this judgment in return from our perspective. Looking up to God and wondering what's going to happen. We hear from God. I, I don't know about y'all, but I always enjoyed uh, when I played sports and when I did things is that there's nothing like being on the ground. You know, 
being in the middle of the play, being in the middle of the, the operation, whatever's going on, that, that's always fun. But as you notice in most of these sports, especially uh, football, is that there's always some type of coordinator, some type of coach up in the high is calling the plays because they see a better picture of what's going on. My friend, as we read the book of Revelation, this is not us looking up, trying to wonder what God is thinking. God is telling us from his vision on high down to us what this is going to look like. So greater perspective brings a greater understanding, and, and God definitely has a better perspective than we do. So as we look in chapter 4, verse 1, we see that when heaven is revealed, Jesus will have your attention. When heaven is revealed, Jesus will have your attention. Notice it says, Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same voice I heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. Who is that same voice? We know because of Revelation chapter 1 verse 10 that that voice is the voice of Jesus Christ. And it spoke like a trumpet blast saying, come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. Here we see Jesus inviting John to walk through a door into heaven to see this indestructible plan he is about to share with him. This We don't know whether this is John has been teleported spiritually to go see heaven. We don't know if Jesus literally took him body and soul up to heaven through this door. But all we do is we know this. We know that John is writing the things that he saw that Jesus showed him. And so there is no mistaking Jesus' voice. What does it say Jesus' voice is like? A trumpet. So when the trumpet sounds, it is like... You are starting the games, the bugler of the army going into battle. There is no doubt that when this trumpet sounds that Jesus is up to something. And we see in verses 2 through 4 that the very center of worship is found at God's throne. And I want to be very clear about this. Uh, I've had the, I would say, privilege of doing funerals. I've had the privilege of, of leading people through grief and even having to walk through those shoes on my own. Still walking through those shoes every day. And we want to constantly make heaven about those that we love that have gone on to be with God in heaven. And look, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that that is important. And that is what the majority of us here on heaven concentrate on because we miss them and we love them. But you see clearly what the subject, what the, the main event, what the, the main thrust of heaven is, and it is God's throne. It says in Revelation chapter 4, verse 2, that, and instantly I was in the Spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. So the very first thing that John saw was the throne of God. And we see that heaven is all about the throne of God. Notice, again, that's the first thing that John is drawn to. That there is a throne with someone sitting on it. Of all the things that John saw, he saw streets that were paved with asphalt. He saw gates that were adorned with precious jewels. He heard all of these great things that we read about in Scripture and we hear the songs talk about in heaven. And he saw people that have gone on. But the thing that caught his eye 
was the throne of God. And that's the way it's going to be for you and for me as a believer, that when we go to heaven, yes, those other things are going to be important, but we are going to see the throne of God and worship Him. Everything that John describes about heaven in this chapter he describes to is in relation to the throne. As you read the passage, you will see that he says the throne is here and this is what's in front of the throne. This is what is around the throne and this is what is above the throne. All of these things, everything in this passage is centered around the throne. You can read it for yourself. And folks, your life will never be fulfilled or complete You will never be fulfilled or complete until you decide who is on the throne of your life. We all have a throne in the middle of our heart. And we as believers say that Jesus Christ comes into our lives and sits on our throne. But the main thing is, how do you know what's on the throne of your life? Look at your checkbook. Look at your calendar. And look at the things that you spend your time with and the things that you focus on. What's the first thing you think about when you get up other than food? (laughs) What's the last thing you think about before you lay your head on at night and on the pillow at night and it's nothing but you and the sound of the ceiling fan? Folks, we have to establish what is on the throne of our heart because God is at the center of heaven and God should be at the center of our heart as well. And so we see here that God's throne forces everyone to realize this is that there is God and we are not him. You know that, right? Whether you be young or old, there is only one God and you are not him. I am not him. I can't explain why things happen to you. I can't explain why the the world acts the way it does. I just know this, as crazy as it is, and I've heard people talk about, thank goodness 2020 is behind us. Folks, 2021 may not be even any better. We don't know. But I know this, the God that had us in the hands of his hands in 2020 is the same God that has us in his hands on 2021. And in heaven, he is still on his throne and will always be on his throne. So we can take that to the bank, Jack, is that we can have faith in 2021 today because we know that God is in control. What we're dealing here with now between 2020 and 2021 is just a measurement of time. But God is timeless. And so we see a description of the one who sits on the throne. In verse 3, it says, The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper. Jasper, gave when it's illuminated, gives off a white light. And the second one was carnelian, or some translations say sardis, which means ruby. So you have a white light. Because of the, the, the jewel, you have a red light. And then it says there is a glow of an emerald circled around his throne like a rainbow. Notice there is no description of an actual figure or being. Now, if I were to ask you to tell me what God looks like, you would probably try to describe to me a picture of some old elderly man with looks like Santa Claus beard and robes and and maybe a staff or lightning in his hand. And and that's kind of what we attribute God to like. But but God is so much more than that. He doesn't even expose who he is. He just exposed what it looks like around him. There is no mistaking that that is God. On the throne and and the difference between red light and the white light. There are many theologians that have many sayings about that. Some people believe the white signifies 
the sacrifice of Christ. And the red represents his blood. But there are others, if you go back to the Old Testament time, the priests, when they walked into the Holy of Holies, did you know God told them exactly how to make their priestly uniforms? And did you know this, that on our chest piece, the first ruby was that white ruby jasper. And the last one was this red ruby. So you have jasper, white, red ruby at the end, meaning that God is at the beginning and God is at the end. Regardless, when you see the throne, there is a purpose in everything. And even the Old Testament captures that. And so now we see that it talks about a rainbow around the throne. Well, you know where that comes from, right? Remember God's promise to you and I and to to all of mankind? He says, I will never destroy the earth with water again. And what was the sign? A rainbow. So we see a little piece of heaven of God's promise. We see a little piece of God. When we go out and it's been raining and we see a rainbow, we're going to see more of that in heaven. It's just a glimpse of what we are going to see. And then this is where it starts getting crazy. So hang with me. In verse 4, it says... Twenty-four thrones surrounded him, and twenty-four elders sat on them. And they were all clothed white and had gold crowns on their heads. Isn't it interesting in John that he notices the twenty-four thrones before he notices the elders that are sitting on them? The thing is, surrounding them, that means that there's a throne in heaven, and surrounding gives you the picture of that these 24 thrones are around the main throne. And if you do much study of history, you'll know that most kings in the throne room, the only throne they wanted in that room is their throne. Or if they had a king, or I mean, if they had a queen, or if they had a child, maybe their throne could be in there, but nobody else knows. So here we have God with 24 thrones. Around him, evenly spaced out in a circle. And then on these thrones, there are elders. It could represent the 24 groups. Uh, could represent the when they were establishing the priests and how would, they would serve in the temple. If you go back in First Chronicles 24, you can see that there were 24 groups, different groups, or 24 assignments for the priest. For the number 24, it could be that there were 12 disciples and that there were 12 tribes in the Old Testament of the Israelites. It could be any number of these things, but the the main thing that we need to do is we need to understand that when it says elders here, it means the elders represent those who are called out. There's... There may be a certain significance in the number 24 and the fact that there were elders, but what most theologians believe is that the 24 elders represent you and represent me. That we are all reigning with God in heaven. And so that's the picture of the 24. And and to kind of back that up, put your thumb where you're at and go to Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 for just a second. And it will give you some insight to what I'm saying. In Revelation 5, 9 it says, And they, which means the elders, and they sang a song with these words. So here we are. We're getting a lyric uh, right here. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people, or some translations say us, for 
God. So who are the 24? The 24 are the redeemed. So my friend, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you have been redeemed from your sins by the blood of Jesus Christ, that 24 is a representation of you being in heaven, reigning with God. Look at how the elders are clothed. They were all clothed in white and they had gold crowns on their head. These very same white garments and crowns have been promised to us in Scripture. It shows that when the Bible says, Blessed is the man or woman that perseveres under trial because they will receive the crown of life. Here we see believers that are wearing their crowns, that are wearing their white garments. Folks, do you realize how exciting this is? This means that all the stuff that you're studying, all the stuff that you're reading actually comes true. That this is not some prefabricated system. I don't know of any number of people that could come together and prefabricate all of this when you, it has to match up with every word that is in God's Word. And it talks about the crowns there. Did you know that there are five different crowns spoken about in Scripture? There is the imperial crown, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory, and the crown of life, which I mentioned just a moment ago. Folks, when the Bible says you will receive garments that are white and that you will receive a crown in heaven, that's not just a warm, fuzzy feeling kind of saying. That is literally what you will receive. But it's amazing what we do with them. You'll see that in just a minute. The next thing we see is that the heaviness of heaven is revealed. The heaviness of heaven is revealed in verses 5 through 8. We'll start with verse 5. It says, From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold Spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like a crystal. Folks, when we approach God in worship, whether it be in this sanctuary or whether it be when we go to heaven, when we approach God for worship, we do that with the awe that God deserves. The description harkens back to the Old Testament when God would visit his people and speak to them through thunder and through lightning. I don't know about you, but we've had some pretty big boomers here lately with thunder and lightning, have we not? And sometimes it sounds like it's going to tear down the house, and there's other times where you just kind of hear it in the far distance. But nevertheless, thunder will get your attention. Lightning will get your attention. And it demands your respect. That's the way God is as well, because he's the one that sends that. And then when you see, it says, there were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold Spirit of God. This is the only place in Scripture where you see a visual representation of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, that, that part of God that is within you, that helps you, that prompts you, that convicts you, that moves you towards Him. We can see effects of the Holy Spirit, but here we actually see the Holy Spirit described in these seven torches. And then... The wisest thing we can do is worship because it says in the center and around the throne were four living beings covered, each covered with eyes front and back. Now, here we are seeing, if you go back in Ezekiel 1 and Ezekiel 10, you were going to see 
these creatures called cherubim. Matter of fact, I was reading through Genesis the other day when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden Eden of Eden. God placed a cherubim at the gate with a sword flashing back and forth that kept them from ever entering it again. Cherubims have been in the Bible. Cherubims are important. And now they're seeing cherubims. John is seeing cherubims in heaven. And oh, by the way, did you know that one of the greatest cherubims that was in heaven was Satan himself? Satan was one of these cherubims. We know that, and we know that he fell because that's in Ezekiel 28. But let's look at the creatures for a second because this gets kind of wonky here. Uh, Kind of like parents, especially mothers, these creatures had eyes all around them. They had eyes in the back of their head. I know mothers have eyes in the back of their head. You may not believe it, but those of you that grew up with mothers that were always into your business and somehow knew everything that you were doing, they, they had eyes in the back of their head. At least you swore they did. But the truth of the matter is they had good friends and they had a God that wouldn't let you get away with anything, right? But these creatures had eyes all around. And these living creatures were not blind instruments or robots. They could know much more. They could see more. They could understand more. So when you see all of these eyes that are represented here, you can see that these beings are wise. They are knowledgeable. And their very existence for the entire time that they exist is to do one thing and one thing only. And that is to praise God nonstop. So there is a message for you and I in this. The most important and wisest and beneficial thing that we can do is worship God. We learn that from these cherubims. Because if our dull eyes could truly see the weight and the cost of our sins in the light of God's forgiveness... How could we ever help but worship him? Now, let's talk about this cool part. The faces of the living being. It says, the first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out. Now, you might be thinking, boy, that was a vision. He must have had some Mexican before he went to bed that night. You know, you ever ate something? Did you have weird dreams all night? I've had it happen to me before. But this is not that. This is the Holy Spirit revealing to him. And and if you think this just came out of the air and this came from nowhere, let me blow your mind for a second. Hang with me. If you go to Ezekiel chapter 1, there's several verses, but we're going to look at verse 10. Ezekiel 1.10 says, Talking about the, the, the living beings, the same beings that are being talked about by Jesus to John in Revelation have been mentioned in Ezekiel 1, verse 10. And it said, each had a human face in the front, the face of a lion, on the right side, the face of an ox, and on the left side, the face of an eagle at the back. So we see in Revelation, we see that each one of these four cherubims had a different face. But in Ezekiel, we see that they had they had one being, had all of those faces. So what does that tell you? You're like, oh my gosh, preacher, just move on. But I think this is cool. Check this out. Is it the same beings that are foretold in Ezekiel that have four faces? What John is seeing is he's seeing one side of each of the cherubims. So they've all matched up to where each one of their faces 
is showing a different aspect of that cherubim. It wasn't two eagles and a lion and a human. It wasn't four human faces. It was one of each. And that's what he was shown. So we see that these angelic creatures each had four separate faces. However, the faces that were represented to John were the one side of each living being showing a different one of the four faces. And they were, what does that mean? Most people believe that these angelic beings symbolized, just like the 24 elders symbolized the redeemed like you and I. These angelic beings symbolize the greatest of creation. In other words, why the human face is because of all the creatures who walk the earth, man is the greatest. Why the birds of the air? Because the eagle is the greatest of the birds. Why the ox? Because it was the greatest of the domesticated animals. And why the lion? Because it was thought to be the greatest of the wild animals. So what we see here, as we look at verses 8 through 11, as, we end the, as we're in the, the, the final turn of our scriptures today, all of heaven worships God. All of heaven worships God. It says in verse 8, the second half, day after day and night after night, they kept on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and is still to come. Folks, when we see God in all of his fullness, our first response will be nothing short of just worshiping him. I fully believe. And we've seen this in the Old Testament. We saw this at the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus, when God showed himself to Jesus. We see that when you see God, it's going to throw you to your knees. You're not going to have any other option. But to see his greatness and to see your creator, to see your father, see the one that you've questioned, see the one that you've trusted, see the one that you've adored, see the one that you've lived your life for, see the one that you've been obedient to, see the one that's let you down, that still loves you and welcomes you in to his home. When you see God, you will feel so unworthy because of his holiness. Your unworthiness will make you feel so unworthy that it will drive you to your knees. Then he'll say, get up. It's not your sins I see. I see the blood of my son, Jesus Christ, that has covered them. When we worship in heaven, we will see God in his fullness. And the cherubims, if you notice, check this out. Verses 9 and 10, it says, Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord, O God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. Now, here's the thing, folks, is that notice what are the cherubim's jobs to praise God and they cue worship. They started worshiping God and then the 24 elders started. Just like when I struck the first chord of this guitar this morning. Not that I'm kind of any angelic being, but I'm just saying there was a definite start to worship that cued everyone to start. So we see in heaven the cherubims are cueing the worship. 
kind of like the hype man at a ball game. I mean, they are they are preparing us and leading us in how to worship. And notice we talked about the crowns before. We talked about the crowns that everyone would receive, the white linens and the white garments. And so this passage says those crowns really don't mean anything other than we are going to take these crowns and we are going to cast them at his feet. You ever heard of the band Casting Crowns? This is where they get their name of their band from. Where we cast our crowns. And there was actually a ceremony back in the day when the Roman emperor, or the, the, the grand ruler, would call in the kings of the other countries around. They would be lesser kings. They would kind of be like the deputy kings, for so to speak. And so he would have this service, and they would all be in this room, and there would be the emperor, and he would say, Okay, men, lay down your crowns. And so they would all take their crowns off, and they would put them on the ground, showing that they conceded to his leadership. So when you see that the, that the 24 elders are taking their thrones and they're casting them down, they're saying, look, we are not leading. We are being led by you. And so when these cherubim, they prompt worship. I don't know about you, but if you've ever been to Hartwell Dam, y'all ever seen Hartwell Dam? Okay. I've still, if y'all know how to get on top of that thing, tell me later, because I don't know how to drive and walk to get up on top of that thing. Donna knows how, so we're good. All right. Belay that. But I'll tell you what, I know this. I know how to get to the bottom of it, where all the water's at. And I know what? When I hear a siren or a horn, and I see those gates start to open, I'm like, whoa. And all of a sudden, these... Millions upon millions of gallons of water start rushing down. And all of a sudden, this this little trickle of water becomes a raging river right in front of you. So when you hear that siren, you hear that horn, you know that something good is about to happen. So when we go to heaven and we see those cherubims crank up, we know it's going to be time to get our worship on. Amen. So we ought to practice while we're here. Preacher, I enjoy worship so much. I mean, I'm not a cherubim, don't get me wrong. But I'm telling you what, we got a lot to learn. Heaven is going to be so exciting. We are going to be prompted to worship. And all those crowns that we think that we're so proud of, we will be laying them at His feet. Because we all have something to praise God for. In conclusion, I would say this. What do we learn about worship in heaven? We learn to worship God above all, for He is worthy. Worship God above all, for He is worthy. Let me ask you, where does your allegiance lie? What team are you playing for? What or who do you worship? That's only a question you can answer. But there is only one way to experience what John is giving you and I a glimpse of today. And it starts with inviting Jesus Christ into your life as Savior and Lord. That is that is the ticket. That is the way to get to heaven. There is no plane. There is no bus. I don't think even Elon Musk could invent a way to get you to heaven. But the truth of the matter is, is that with faith in Jesus Christ, that is our ticket. So you, 
All this stuff that we've been reading here, you've got two choices today, folks. And it's really up to you. And I think Ripley said it best when he said, believe it or not. Believe it or not, all the stuff that we've read, and we've, we, you can read for yourself at any time. Believe it or not, if you choose to believe the picture that Jesus showed John, then you have a great eternity waiting for you. If you don't believe it, I truly hope that whatever is worth staking your eternity on is worth it. Because there will be people out here today to say that this is a construct made by man. This will be there are people out there that say that I don't believe in that and that you have your right to not believe in this. And look, if if I'm wrong, <laughs> I haven't lost a night of sleep over it because my life with Christ has been so much better than my life without it. <laughs> but if this is right, woo! Like the older folks say in that song, what a day it will be. It's up to you to choose who's on the throne of your heart. Do you have Jesus Christ in your heart that will allow God to look past your sin to see you as forgiven because Jesus died to forgive you of your sins? We will worship in heaven and it will be a glorious day. And I pray that every one of you are there with me when we do it. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for those that are here this morning and those that are watching by Facebook Live. And Lord, this has just been a real big pep rally, really, in my opinion. We have proclaimed the words that are in your, your scriptures, Lord, and you have given us an exciting picture of what heaven is going to be like. And this is just a tip of the iceberg. So, Heavenly Father, if there's anyone here today that would say, you know, if I were to die today, I don't know for sure if I would spend eternity in heaven. I don't know if I would experience what we're seeing here. I pray they not leave today before they talk with me or someone they trust about spiritual things to make sure that they're right in that decision. If there's someone watching this video that they would message or contact their pastor or contact me to know for sure that they are believers. And Lord, most of all, a lot of us are looking for heaven so that we can see the people that we've lost here on earth. And I know that we'll get to see them, and that'll be a glorious rejoicing, but it'll be nothing like casting our crowns before you and worshiping at your feet. We love you, and we give you this time this morning, for it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.